You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Um, it's good to be with you uh, today as we continue our series on the gift of the Nutcracker. Uh, first week we talked about Clara, uh, who's the main character of the story. We talked about how it's a story of transition. It's not just a story about a young girl getting a gift from her godfather. It's a story about her growing up. Uh, and all of the shenanigans that happen uh, when one grows up from childhood into adolescence. And then we met Clara's godfather, Drosselmeyer, uh, who gives her the gift of the Nutcracker. And Drosselmeyer represents, in the story, Drosselmeyer represents uh, God the Father. Uh, Drosselmeyer gives gifts, uh, he foreshadows, he breaks things that, that need mending, and he's there at the end of it all. Well, today we meet the villain of the story, the dreaded Mouse King, who shows up and is a 'er ne'er-do-well in the story. So our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter, the first six verses. Let us hear the word of the Lord. It will be on the screens and also in your Bible. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Perspective matters. Perspective matters. The way that you look at the world matters. For example, having a mouse scamper across the living room is one thing. Seeing a mouse that is twice your size walk across the living room is completely a different thing. And that's what we find in this story. Uh, Clara had been given a nutcracker uh, by her godfather and her brother Fritz was jealous of this gift, and he tried to wrestle the nutcracker away, and in so doing, the nutcracker broke. Out of his jealousy, he broke someone else's gift. There's a sermon in and of itself right there. And then Drosselmeyer heals the nutcracker, he mends it and puts it back together. More on that next week. But then uh, Clara goes to sleep, and in her dream, she sees the nutcracker there. But then she also sees this menacing creature, the Mouse King. We don't know why he's there. There's no backstory. There's no origin story. He just appears, uh, like the Joker says in The Dark Knight, some some men just want to watch the world burn. This Mouse King comes out of nowhere and, and perceives Clara to be a threat. Now, we could do a psychological study on family systems because of Clara seeing her brother as a giant mouse trying to murder the nutcracker. And if you have a sibling, maybe this dream is not 
so different than a dream you might have had growing up about your siblings. But the point of this is, a mouse is not supposed to be that big. The point is, when something that shouldn't be big is, it's terrifying. Perspective matters. Now, I'm glad you're all sitting down for what I'm about to say next. I love Disney World. Um, I know, right? Big revelation in the sermon today. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not the rides. It's not the fact that you can see Mickey Mouse. It, it, it's not the food. It, well, it might, might be the food. It's, it's the way that Disney tells a story. For example, in the Magic Kingdom, when you go into the Magic Kingdom... Uh, and, and, you, and you hang a right and you, and you turn around uh, the, the main square, the uh, town square. Uh, you look up Main Street and there's this huge castle there in the distance. And the architecture is built in such a way that once you've entered and you're at the end of Main Street, when you look into the Magic Kingdom, it looks bigger than it is. It's called forced perspective. They do that on purpose so that when you're there and you have a lot of energy... And frankly, a lot of money left in your pocket. You're excited to go into the park to see how big and vast this kingdom is. And then what happens at the end of the day, when you're coming home, and you're at the castle, and you're looking at the exit, and you're pushing a stroller, and someone didn't have a nap, and now you're broke, (laughs) Main Street looks much shorter than it did earlier in the day. That, too, is on purpose. They built it to look that way. Disney is a genius and a master of forced perspective, making you see a particular thing at a particular time to tell a particular story. When you come in, they want you to see that it's big and larger than life. And when you're leaving, they want you to know that the bus stop is just past the gate and you're ready to go home. Perspective matters. Now, I like to look at at, at things theologically. Uh, And I also look at at Disney theologically. Don't laugh, don't leave. Um, This idea of when you start a journey and you see a particular thing versus when you're ending a journey and you see that same thing in a different way. Theologically speaking, another way to think about this is that no matter your, your position on your journey of faith affects your perception of the journey itself. Your position on your journey of faith affects your perception of the journey itself. There's quite a different perception of the church and Christ when when, uh, it's your first day in the church and you've received baptism versus when you've been in the church for a long time. Your place on your journey affects the perception of the journey itself. Christmas is a great example of this too. Uh, During Christmas, we all look at Christmas in in slightly different ways. For some, Christmas is about the glory. Glory in the highest, where the the lights are on and we we need a 20-foot tree and, and we just have to talk about the magnificence of God coming down to earth. For others, Christmas is is really about not the tree, but the people around it and the family that's gathered. For others, it is a time. For others, it is a time to give your very best. We have to offer our best music. We have to offer our best ministry. Uh, we need an orchestra here, and we need to, to do our best. And for others, still, it's about the simplicity 
of a child born in a manger with the livestock out of town somewhere. It's one of the things I love about a Christmas tree because you can look at a Christmas tree from all angles. No matter where you're on the tree, but though, though, no matter where we are on the tree and where we're looking, it always points to the angel at the top or the star. It always still points us to Jesus. Perspective matters. Uh, sometimes Christmas is even a sad time, as we talked about in terms of the longest night uh, service. Uh, the Gospel of Luke plays with our perception and what we assume to be important. The Gospel of Luke, and Luke does this uh, all over the place, um, but here at the beginning of chapter 3 of Luke, Luke really plays with our perception of what we assume to be important. There's this laundry list, there's this list of, I don't know why I say laundry list, there's, it's just a list, there's no laundry involved in this, there, there, there's a list of names of the important rulers of the day. It's almost as if Luke is at, is at a, a grand party, a, a political affair, and he's announcing all the people that are coming in. We have, we have Emperor Tiberius, and, and this is descending order, right? Emperor Tiberius, and Pontius Pilate, and Herod, and his brother Philip, and Lysanias, of, who ruled Abilene, Texas, and Annas, and Caiaphas. And then, and then Luke throws a loop. Luke, there's a plot twist. All of these important people, and then it says, and... The word of God came to John. Emperor, Pontius Pilate, governors, leaders of areas, and the word of God came to none of them. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. In other words, the word of God, being filled with the word of God, having a relationship with Jesus Christ, is not predicated upon power upon principality of, of, of your status or the kind of palace you live in. However, it is predicated on, on love. So John the Baptist, his job was to point to Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord, it says. The hills will be lowered, the rough places made plain. John the Baptist's job was to point to Jesus as followers of Jesus, that is our job as well. Not to be witty or clever or innovative, but to point to Jesus. To point to the work that Jesus is doing, that Christ is doing in our life. So in this story, we follow suit with John the Baptist, preparing the way. And we prepare this way, not through power or our palace or our station, but through a perception of love, a lens of love with the world. Today, we light the candle of love because love must be our perspective. Love must be our perspective in the world. Love must be the lens through which we see God's creation and God's children. Interesting thing about love, love does not happen in a vacuum. Love needs community. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. This love, this lens through which we see the world, necessitates that we are connected to one another. One of my favorite songs uh, that we sing during Christmas, uh, Advent and Christmas, uh, is Joy to the World. Right? 
Uh, And for those of you who are keeping liturgical score, those who are liturgical purists, I'm well aware that Joy to the World is not an Advent or Christmas song. It's officially a Christ the King song because it's not about Jesus' birth. It's It's about Jesus returning Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It's about the end of time, not, not the birth of Jesus. Um, but whatever. Uh, it's a beautiful song, and we should sing it every Sunday, right? Uh, and I love how it says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Because that's, the, that's, that's part of our narrative as Christians is for heaven and earth to be one. For heaven and earth, they have come together in the person of Jesus, both fully human, fully divine. Heaven and nature sing in the person of Christ. How do we prepare him room? What does that look like? It looks like patience with each other. It looks like listening more than we speak. It looks like reaching out in concern and service to the world. It looks like allowing the small stuff to be small stuff. And recognizing what the big things really are. And what the big things that matter need to be addressed. No matter where we are, in other words, no matter where we are, on this journey of faith. Our perspective is always to be love. The lens through which we see the world is always to be love. To make him room through our generosity and our kindness and our peace. And I pray that we serve the world with the kind of love that emptied itself. God on high who is glorious, our Lord, The kind of love that empties itself to take the form of a child in a manger. May this be our perspective as we welcome Christ into our heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.